Good morning to all of you who are tuning in today and a very happy, happy Mother's Day to all our moms out there. Today's kingdom topic is perfect for today because it so well is exemplified by our moms. And the topic is descend into greatness. Now, the interesting thing is that Descending into Greatness is also the title of a book written by a well-known Christian author. And in the book, he explored how Jesus said, if you really want to be great, you have to become a servant and take a lower position than you have now. He actually said it was his best book he'd ever written, and yet it was his worst-selling book. Why is that? Because Descending doesn't sell in America. Americans don't want to read about how to be demoted. They want to read about how to be promoted. So the idea of pursuing a voluntary demotion is foreign to us. Good news, though. It's not just an American problem, but a human problem. As people, we come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. There's dog people and cat people. There are people who love the mountains and people who love the beach. Morning people, night people introverts, extroverts, country club people, and YMCA people, country music lovers, and classical music lovers, all kinds of unique, colorful people, and all kinds of interests people have. But there is one interest that unites the human family, one interest we all have at the top above all others. You know what interest it is? If you do, say it with me. Self-interest. We didn't come out of our mother's womb as natural-born givers, but natural-born takers. When your baby needs fed, he doesn't care if it's 3 a.m. and you are in a deep sleep. He only knows he's hungry and he wants to be fed now. Alicia and I always had a special arrangement concerning night feedings. Alicia would always feed them, and I would always stay in bed and pray for them while she fed them. As well, when it comes to toddlers, we never had to teach our kids to take. No, that instinct to clutch, to grab, to say, mine, is as natural as breathing to a toddler. And unfortunately, some never outgrow it. All our lives are just self-interested, natural-born takers, and we want more and more and more. Just take a look at this video showing how our self-interest can enter the absurd at times. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you.
Now, granted, that's pretty overboard, I'll admit. But you get the point of how self-serving we can be. Now, Jesus comes along and he teaches us something that is so upside down that we have to reread it because we're sure that we read it wrong. Here's what he says in Acts 20, 35. Paul is quoting Jesus and he says, The Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So this raises a question. How many of you watching or listening would like to be more blessed in your life? Just raise your hand if that's you. I promise this is not a trick right now. And please understand that this doesn't just mean giving money, but includes that, but it's not relegated to that. We can give of ourselves by giving our time, our strength, our energy to someone to help meet needs in their life. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk you through a series of three scriptures that all happen in just rapid succession. Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. All of them teaching the same lesson to be learned because the disciples, like us, were very, very thick-headed at times. Now, the first scene takes place in Mark chapter 8. Jesus was always very candid and open with his followers about why he came. And even though he gets very specific about some things, it's almost like they don't want to believe what he says is true or going to happen. For instance, in Mark 8, 31, here's what Jesus said. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. So Jesus makes them very aware of what's coming down the pipeline for him because he loves his apostles and he doesn't want the events to come to shock or surprise them. But guess how Peter, the leader of the apostles, responds to this amazing act of service and sacrifice of Jesus. Well, verse 32 tells us, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now that should make all of us take pause for a moment. Can you imagine rebuking the Son of God? And Peter knows who he is talking to because just two verses before, he confesses his belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. So Peter takes Jesus aside because he doesn't want to embarrass Jesus in front of the others. Because, you know, if you're going to rebuke the Son of God, it's always best to do it discreetly, right? Now, do you remember what Peter did before he became a follower of Jesus? He was just a run-of-the-mill, smelly fisherman. But now, now he is the right-hand man of the most famous man in all of Israel. That does something to a person's mind, to their psyche. There's something in all of us that likes to be associated with famous and powerful people. That's why when we get our picture taken with a celebrity, we immediately post it online to show our friends. Because that association does something for our ego, right? In fact, if you're watching on Facebook right now, just type in the name of the most famous person you have ever met. Just go ahead and type that in. I can't say that I've ever met many famous people. Probably the most famous person I've ever met from the Christian realm would be Josh McDowell. Met him at an airport one time. So you have my permission to boast. A friend of mine from college recently contacted his wife's uh, teenage idol, a lady by the name of Debbie Gibson, 
All you Gen Xers know who I'm talking about. And he actually got Debbie Gibson to sing happy birthday to his wife, and he posted the video on Facebook, thereby one-upping every husband. See, it's one thing to meet someone famous, quite another to have them sing you a song. So anyway, back to our story. Peter is just soaking in all the stardom that Jesus has brought his way. So he's got really big plans for the future. So Peter doesn't take very kindly to Jesus talking about dying and ruining Peter's plans to be more, achieve more, and have more. So he rebukes Jesus. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear that conversation. But then Jesus rebukes Peter. Verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, folks, I can think of a handful of things that I would never want to hear the Son of God say to me. Right at the top of that list is equating me with Satan himself. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's calling out Peter's selfish motives and desires. Peter, stop worrying only about you. You've missed my entire mission to redeem and save people and the world at large. And when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, I think what he's trying to do is just rattle Peter's cage saying, you have no idea the kind of grip the enemy has on you, Peter. Because he's got you thinking and believing that you're the most important person in the world. And Peter... You're not. Then he uses this moment to teach those around him a very important lesson. Mark 8, 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, when I think about people denying themselves, I can't help but to think of moms. Probably no other group of people in the world are as selfless as mothers. I've seen it with my own mom. Multiple times I witnessed it as a kid, and still now. My mom just turned 77 years old, and yet every time I walk into her house, she wants to know if I'm hungry, if she can get me anything. She's just always looking for a way to serve. I've seen it with my wife. She sacrificed a lot of her wishes, desires, and dreams in life so she could homeschool our kids. And she put their interests and needs above her own. It's like the story of the little boy who's having trouble with his fractions. So his teacher pulls him aside and says, let's put this in perspective. Let's say your mommy makes a strawberry pie and she wants everybody in the house to have a piece. How many people are in your family? The little boy said, there's seven of us. Okay, the teacher said, so how many pieces does your mom need to cut? The boy says, six. Well, you just told me that there's seven in your family. So how many pieces does your mom need to cut? The little boy says, six. The teacher shakes his head and says, you still don't understand your fractions, do you? The little boy says, no, you don't understand my mom. Because my mom would say she didn't want any, so she could give everybody else a bigger piece of the pie. And the disciples are just like that teacher. They don't understand Jesus and this descend into greatness mindset. 
Now we know that the me first mindsets don't change overnight. So we go into the very next chapter, Mark chapter 9, and that's where we read the second account, starting in verse 31. He said to them, this is Jesus, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. So here's Jesus trying to spell things out for them again. This is really important, crucial information, Jesus says, that I'm giving you. Verse 32. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So Jesus just told them that he is going to die. And all they can think about is which of them is the greatest. Which of them is going to take over when Jesus is gone? Which of them is going to get the most speaking engagements? Which of them is going to lead this ministry? So Jesus has to go another round with these guys teaching the same lesson in a different way. Verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. That sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? So countercultural. Yeah, that's why this is an upside down kingdom, because it doesn't make sense. Now, Jesus used visuals to teach, so allow me to use one to explain this idea. If I were to take you to a chicken coop with 10 chickens in it, and if I were to throw a handful of feed on the ground, you would immediately see the pecking order the chickens had established. In other words, you would see who the chickens recognize as number one boss. And number one boss gets first dibs at the feed, and she gets all the feed that she wants. And then chicken number two can boss around any other chicken except chicken number one. And then chicken number 10 would only get the scraps because everybody picked on her and everybody eats before her. As humans, we establish pecking orders. We size up people based on education, affluence, ethnicity, job title. What do they drive? Where do they live? And so you can go into a room, just ask a few simple questions, and immediately it becomes clear who you need to defer to and who needs to defer to you. And so Jesus comes along into this world where success means being chicken number one and says, now I want you, my followers, to go serve chicken number 10. In fact, I want you to take number 10's place so number 10 can be bumped up to chicken number nine. And that, Jesus says, is how you become great. Again, the principle is simple. It's not rocket science, but practicing it is extremely hard because it just grates against the self-interest of our pride. Now, you would think this has to be getting through the thick skulls of the disciples, right? But again, the me-first mindset is still large and in charge, as evidenced in the next chapter, Mark chapter 10. Jesus once again explains to them that when they reach Jerusalem, he's going to be handed over to the chief priest and killed, but he will rise again. 
on the third day. This is the third time he's told them all of this. And they respond just like they did the previous two times, thinking only of themselves. Mark 10, 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. In other words, Jesus, we're not picky about who gets on the right side, who gets on the left side. We just want to be your number two guys. See, they have in their minds what they want. They're thinking that when they get to Jerusalem, that Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans, usher in his kingdom, and take his rightful place as the king of the Jews. And so they're wanting to get dibs in before the rest of the disciples. It's like they're calling shotgun to the throne on the right and the left of Jesus. And again, this mindset of thinking of me comes right on the heels of two rapid-fire lessons that Jesus gave on selflessness and service. Mark 10, 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, I don't think that they were so mad at the request, the other 10. I think they were mad that they hadn't thought of it first. You ever get mad at somebody because they thought of something before you did? Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And the beautiful thing is Jesus never asks of others what he is not already doing himself. In fact, he leads the way in it. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many So Jesus said, it's all right to want to be great. God didn't make any of us with a desire to settle for mediocrity or to live lives of little significance, but to lead lives of greatness. We are image bearers of God Almighty, so greatness already runs in our veins. So seeking greatness isn't wrong. The problem is how you define and measure greatness. Robert Roberts writes about a group of fourth graders who played a game during recess called Balloon Stomp. He says, you may have seen kids play this game. It is where each child has a balloon and a string is tied around his or her ankle. And the goal is to go around bursting other people's balloons while keeping your own from being burst. The last person left with their balloon intact is the winner. Now, when you think about this, this is kind of a Darwinian kind of a game. Survival of the fittest, no holds barred. And after a lot of intimidation and a lot of tears, there was a clear winner and everybody else was losers. And a bunch of kids left the room not feeling too good about themselves. Then another group came to play. This group was from the special needs class and they were developmentally challenged. And as they tied the balloons to their ankles, One observer said, oh no, how are these kids going to handle the humiliation of getting their balloon stomped? But the problem, if it was a problem at all, was that they didn't understand the rules of the game. 
See, they didn't think that the goal of the game was to stomp everyone else's balloon while keeping yours intact. They thought the goal of the game was to help each other stomp on the balloons. So one child would hold his balloon while his friend would stomp on it and vice versa. And at the end, they stomped all the balloons and they all stood up and cheered. Instead of playing against each other, they played with each other. And they devised a brilliant alternative scoring system. So the question that begs to be asked this morning is this, who played the game right and who played the game wrong? And the answer completely depends on how you keep score. See, we all determine success by how we keep score in life. Your life, your passions, what you spend your time and money on, your priorities and values are all directed by your scoring system for life. And what Jesus does is he calls into question the way most of us are keeping score. I know this. When they preach my funeral, I guarantee you they will not say that I was great at anything the world calls important. But that doesn't mean I can't spend my life invested in greatness because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to have natural talents and abilities to serve. You only need a heart filled with grace that is generated by love. So let me ask you, what are you doing with your life today that Jesus would call great? Jesus said the path to success is all downhill and you travel down it on your knees. It goes against the grain of culture, but this is the law of the kingdom and even our king wasn't exempt. So it's idolatry, folks, to say that we are going to change the world from the top down. It is Christianity that says, no, we are going to change the world from the bottom up with a reborn community of servant people. So be very leery of the call to climb the ladder of what the world calls success. Because if you start climbing that ladder, you just may pass Jesus going the other way. I wonder today how the Holy Spirit wants to apply this in your life. Would you just ask God right now to show you where you can eradicate the me first self-interest mindset in your life? Would you ask God to give you the humility to define greatness and success the way Jesus did? I wonder who today might be feeling drawn to Jesus. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to him as your king and you understand now more than ever after today that he is a selfless king, one who puts others first and he gave up his life so you could have life. If you desire to say yes to Jesus, yes to his grace, yes to his kingdom, yes to hope, yes to eternal life, yes to everything good that Jesus offers, you can reach out to him right now. It's just a matter of saying, Jesus, I, I open the door for you. I ask you to be the king of my life. I put, you, I put my complete faith and trust in you, and I choose to follow you. Jesus, forgive me of my sins by the payment you made on the cross. Here's what I'm going to ask you. Will you let us know if following Jesus is a decision that you've made today or want to make today? If this is you, simply send us a text to 260-215-4334. That's 260-215-4334. And we would love to talk with you 
and hear from you and arrange for you to be baptized as a follower of Christ. And now Michael is going to lead us in our time of remembering Christ's great sacrifice during our time of communion. <laughs> 